Hi, we're back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me, as always, for the weekend review, John Bennett from CQ Roll Call and former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin. Guys, welcome back to the show this week. A lot to unpack. Uh, the debt ceiling. <laughs> um, Trump's case from state to federal court, his deposition video, the Biden White House and their new press rules, drag queens versus guns and book bans. Ooh, it's been a busy week. So stick around. We'll take a few, few uh, moments for commercial messages and we'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. And while we were in the break, Michael Zeldin and I were uh, remarking on John Bennett's wonderful tuxedo this week for the White House Correspondence Dinner. It only took you a few minutes to clean up, but he does look nice cleaned up there, John. A few <laughs> hours, more like. <laughs> <laughs> you, go to, you go to John Bennett's Facebook page and you'll see this great shot. It was a great shot. He looked great. <laughs> on, on the red carpet, no less. Yeah, or in, right. at, in the case of the White House <clears throat> Correspondence Center, the blue screen. But none. Of... <laughs> I even broke out the hairspray, guys. I mean, it's serious. <laughs> it's serious. <laughs> he he got very serious. Yeah. Well, so we're going to get know, serious. <laughs> my dad start... used to say, "You get one chance to make a good first impression." So there you have it. That's right. So you got to comb your hair. Is that that's that... <laughs> as long as you got hair to comb, I guess. So uh, mm. let's let's get started with the uh, well something not nearly as much fun to talk about the debt ceiling. What is it, and what the hell is the president of the United States talking about invoking the Fourteenth Amendment for, or not invoking the Fourteenth Amendment, depending on who the hell you talk to in that administration? Uh, let's uh, start with John. You want to unpack that for us, John? Yeah, the debt ceiling is uh, <clears throat> what has become a very annoying. Uh, part of federal law that stipulates, you know, a, how much debt the federal government can take on. And when you get to the limit, it's, you know, it's just like if your household had a borrowing limit, um, or if your dad gave you a credit card and said, you can't take more than a, you know, $300 balance at any time, or you're grounded. Um, except it's a lot bigger and the consequences, the experts say, it's never happened. U.S. has never defaulted on its debt. Um, it would be economic just catastrophe 
and you know our the the federal debt would would be downgraded worse than it was i believe in 2011 when it was downgraded uh when another one of these situations so congress traditionally has raised the borrowing limit or suspended it for a certain period of time to keep negotiating and presidents of course are involved because they have to sign <clears throat> excuse me have to sign such a bill into law so that's what is kind of happening right now uh, and Congressional leaders and President Biden will attempt to revive negotiations such as they were about how to do this, how to handle this, whether to raise it to an, another dollar amount, or you could suspend it for a period of time to keep talking. You could suspend it just to avoid default, which has happened before. Yeah. So that's they're going to meet Tuesday at the White House. First time that there have been talks um between Speaker McCarthy and President Biden since February 1st. And if you if you believe the speaker, he says they haven't even heard from the White House staff since then. So, you know, this has been lingering for months. Apparently Jenny you Yellen, can't turn on C-SPAN. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the phone works both ways. Let's not That's forget. That's true. <laughs> um, but Janet Yellen says that this thing needs to be raised by June 1st or around there because Treasury will... No longer have they've 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 found all the quarters and nickels in the couch cushions, and they can get to June first thereabouts. Or you're looking at the first federal default, and no one really knows what happens the next day. No one knows when the when the markets start opening around the world the well, next day. We can day, imagine that, that the stock market wouldn't do well. But yeah. in point of fact, when you take a look at this, and and not not to interrupt you, but in point of fact, when we take a look at this over the years. During the Trump administration, they raised the debt limit three times when, right. and without even batting an eyelash. But now it's become a political football. Michael? Well, in addition to what John said, there is this interesting conversation about whether or not the president has authority under Clause 4 of the 14th Amendment to just bypass Congress. A brief history of this is that the Clause 4 of the 14th Amendment was added to make sure that if the Confederate states, when they came back into the Union after the Civil War, regained power, they would then try to ensure that their debts uh, were paid and that the Republicans that controlled the, the Senate until then couldn't uh, ensure that their debts would be paid. So it was all about making sure that that the uh, Confederate states wouldn't take uh, authority to ensure their, uh, mitigate, remove their indebtedness. So it's complicated. So, but there is this 14th Amendment section, which seems to give the authority to the Biden administration to continue issuing new debt to pay bondholders like Social Security, military personnel, and others even if Congress fails to lift the limit by um, the June uh, 1 date that Janet Yellen is suggesting. It's not clear that the 14th Amendment gives the president that right. It would be uh, uh, an interesting constitutional question that the Supreme Court would clearly have to get into and immediately because of the um, prospect of default. But something to keep your eye on, whether or not this clause, which was really intended 
to ensure that the Confederacy um, could guarantee their, you know, their their indebtedness and the federal government pay its debts um, can be applied in this context. So stay tuned, if you will. <laughs> yeah. But John, that's one of the things that we talked about earlier is that uh, the uh, administration has been all over it, the place in messaging on this. And some have even called this, this would be a constitutional crisis, <laughs> which we use that term often these days. But you want to kind of jump in on that? Yeah. Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary this morning, uh, was asked uh, on one of the Sunday shows about just that. Um, and she was asked in, in the context of uh, President Biden on fr Friday night did an interview with MSNBC and he was asked the same question and he, and he does this, he was vague. Um, he didn't blow it off, but he said, I'm not there yet. Now he chose to not say the words, uh, no, he was with Stephanie rule. He could have said, no, Stephanie, um, I don't, I don't believe that is the way to go, or I'm not going to do that. Or we don't think that's, you know, legal. He didn't say that. He didn't say those words. And then Yellen this morning calls it, says that would be a constitutional crisis. So uh, once again, out of step on messaging, you know, either you're leaving it on the table or it would cause a constitutional crisis. Now, Yellen went on in the interview, and, and I urge everyone to look up the clip, probably uh, it's on social media uh, somewhere. She also says, she she also doesn't say that it's off the table. So Pick your own adventure here. Do you want an economic catastrophe or a constitutional crisis? My gut says if Joe Biden had to pick one, he would pick the legal fight. He would pick the constitutional crisis and go ahead and not be the first president to have the federal debt default under his watch. But but that's just my you know, that's not reporting. That's just right, my own, right. my own assessment of the feeling. situation. But here's the thing, and, and let's take a step back from it and just look at it. You know, you you, you likened it to you know your your uh, you know you have a credit card and you get a debt you, instead of three hundred dollars debt, you're allowed to accumulate six hundred or seven hundred. And every time they let the debt go larger, it's still not addressing the 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 problem of the debt. <laughs> it's you still got to pay the damn thing off. At some point in time. So I get the Republicans have a, a they do have an issue there about, hey, how are we going to pay the debt? But at the same time, they their idea of paying the debt down would be to cut social services, ah. including <laughs> Social Security, which I, I don't know how that would happen. But uh, uh, and, and everything else that would be, you know, a social service while maintaining uh, the uh budget for defense and and others yes john correct that's that's essentially what house republicans passed recently um again they they mostly stuck together they barely you know mccarthy kevin mccarthy the speaker got it across the line uh, of course no democrats voted for that i know yeah, <laughs> you know the the only democrat that i could think of who might consider something like that is uh mr manchin senator from west virginia um, but I don't, I don't even think Joe Manchin would, would vote for that bill and, and Chuck Schumer is not going to put it on the floor. So that's, but, but it's interesting though, right? So we've been here before we, you know, the media sometimes I, doesn't, doesn't have the memory I wish it did. So I think we're about where you would expect us to be in this debate fight and in, insert your adjective here. Um, you know, the house, house Republicans 
had to vote on something that was very conservative. McCarthy had to write that bill and put it on the floor. He had to give certain groups within his own uh, conference certain things and take stuff out. That was always going to happen, had to happen. So now he's passed a bill that Schumer, that Biden won't sign and Schumer won't bring on the floor. One way that this, the, the most likely way to me that this ends is maybe the House votes on something else, just Republican votes. Again, not going to the Senate floor. Biden's not going to sign it. And then that allows McCarthy to go to his conservatives and say, OK, guys, I, you know, we've done all we can and we can't default because we'll, you know, and he can make the argument. We'll lose the majority and you guys will have to go get real jobs. So yeah. Don't you want to get don't you want to get reelected in a year <laughs> and a half? So let me do what I have to do. Let me go walk across to Akeem Jeffries. Let me go find 218 votes with his moderates and my moderates. Let's get this thing over to Chuck and then to the president. And let's not, you know, let's not shoot ourselves politically in the foot. But the the problem with that is all it takes is one House member because McCarthy lowered the threshold on the motion to vacate the speakership to yeah. one member. So he would have to have everyone on board with him doing what he has to do, going to Jeffries and getting this thing done. And it could be done in a day and a half once they get started. I still think that's the way this ends, but it's going to be really noisy until then. Um, but the fact that we're talking about the 14th Amendment, this seriously, you know, there's a lot of pessimism that they can come to a deal. So, you know, I I, I wouldn't rule it out. I think it's a long shot that Biden would have to make that decision. I, I do think this gets done, but it'll be at the last minute. So, Michael, that's I guess we'll close this out with what does a constitutional crisis, what would that look like? Well, I'm not sure that I understand what the word constitutional crisis exactly means. It means, yeah. I mean, what we would have here is a, a constitutional issue. That is, the the Supreme Court would be asked to, let's say Biden raises the, uh, pays the debts of the United States independent of the legislative branch. He just authorizes the debts to be paid. I don't know exactly who writes the check, but he does that. And then, and then somehow, the, and then the legislative branch sues or something to prevent that from occurring. That contest then goes presumably to the Supreme Court to resolve what does clause four of the 14th Amendment authorize the president to do. That's not a crisis. That's the way the constitution was intended to work. What the crisis would be is if the Supreme Court said, yes, he can do this, or no, he better yet, no, he can't do this, but he does it anyway. The crisis occurs when you have an answer that people are unwilling to abide by. Then yeah. you have a crisis. Here mm -hmm. you just have a constitutional contest, and we'd see whose interpretation of the 14th Amendment is correct. Does the legislative branch have absolute final say in payment, or does the president have this carve out mechanism to pay uh, under the 14th Amendment uh, the, the, these debts. And I expect that it's not a simple constitutional question, but there's a long history about why this section was added to the Constitution, what the founding um, members of the United States um, intended by, by, by this amendment. And 
they'll have to make a decision. And then if everyone abides by it, it's not a crisis. It's just uh, an answer to a complicated question. Well, the other uh, fly in the ointment for the complicated question is madman Mitch McConnell, who's uh, backing the House play on the debt and said that uh, on the debt ceiling, he signed on to a letter this week stating that he and more than 40 members of the Senate GOP conference will not back, quote, any bill that raises the debt ceiling without substantive spending and budget reforms. That was two days ago reported on the Hill and, of course, NPR, Axios, Politico, Roll Call, all of you all uh, reported on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> John, what the hell does it does it matter where the hill of beans because Mitch McConnell's in the minority in the Senate or is it just yes. for high wind yes. in the trees? Yes, it absolutely matters because of the number of Republicans that signed on to the letter, meaning they that Democrats can't get to 60 votes to, to, to shut down a filibuster and to actually get on the bill and pass it with 51 votes. So because they're McConnell plus 40 or McConnell, including McConnell, uh, the math isn't there. They they would only get, you know, you know, seven or eight Republicans. If you lose Joe Manchin, which they might, uh, if you lose Kristen Sinema, which they might, uh, then you need, of course, two more Republicans. Now, you've got Kamala Harris. If Dianne Feinstein is back, you've got Kamala Harris to well, break. She it. hasn't been back for 20 years, but that's another story. <laughs> well, that is another story. Um, so you see the math. The math is very difficult because of how many Republicans have backed the letter, not that Mitch McConnell has signed the letter. Uh, they just can't get to 60 votes to take up the bill. So this, I mean, this does add to the situation. And it, it's why I still think that, you know, that even the, the ultra conservatives, the MAGA part of the House Republican Conference will not, will not want to default and they'll allow McCarthy to, to do something bipartisan with Jeffries and, and get enough Democrats in there with the House model. I still think that um, now McConnell, that's very Mitch. That statement is so Mitch. Um, it's vague, but bold. It's, you know, demanding, but not specific. And and it, it allows, you know, it allows Mitch to demanding define what... Yielding. <laughs> right. It, 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 it allows Mitch to define what a substantive reform is. And substantive can can be pretty substantive today but on the eve of a vote when you're writing the final bill uh, it can be not so substantive but you still call it substantive uh, because this is politics and things don't have to make sense and rarely do they so michael does that have any play in a in a i mean going back to the constitutional thing does does mcconnell's threats mean any that Legally, does it mean anything? It's to, or is it all just politics? I think it's all just politics because uh, Mitch McConnell has no sway over how to best interpret the Fourteenth Amendment. He doesn't have that authority. He might like it, but he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't he? Doesn't have it. So he can, you know, saber rattle all he wants. But he in the end, John Bennett's tuxedo. That's what he wishes. Mm, who doesn't? There's a lot I mean, of jealousy. There's just a lot of jealousy. That's <laughs> um, the custom tailor. Shout out! They did a great job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but but and if you mention John Bennett's name, you get a ten percent uh, increase in price. <laughs> That's not a real promo. That's ten percent <laughs> discount. But it should be John, John Bennett no, shops there. I, I I think probably ten percent uh, increase. 
price increase. Uh, <laughs> I think so, you're right. <laughs> I wasn't sorry. a diva when I, I went to get I, my tax. I, I once I once told my, Michael Isikoff that I had a copy of his one of his books and I was going to sell it on eBay. And I had a version that was signed and a version that was unsigned. And the unsigned version went for more than the signed version. <laughs> so anyway, but to, to answer your question, yeah. I think that it is saber rattling and if no uh, legal consequence. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we've got a lot more. So stick around. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Uh, hi, we're back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. And we're going to move on from the debt ceiling because we know that's the most exciting thing to talk about other than uh, John Bennett's tuxedo. And I guess we could take a, take a short stop and talk about Bill Barr because he, you know... Uh, uh, he came out this week talking a little bit about Donald Trump, and I can't take this man seriously. Having spoke with him at an event in uh, California recently, I find him to be as disingenuous as he's always been, and anything that he says is full of shit, but that's that's just me. Michael, you had mentioned this in uh, in, in pregame, so I'll, I'll let you, uh, or, or was it you, John? I'm sorry. Did, did I, no, that was Michael who sent me the email on it. Uh, and so no, I, it was I, John. It was John. Ah. Uh, John, it was you. All right, John, I'll let you open up with it. What'd you think? Why Why are we talking about Bill Barr? Why did you send me this damn email, John? That's essentially the question here. And it's a good one. Um, I sent you that, Brian, because of what you just alluded to, that you did speak to the former attorney general recently. Um, also, I sent it to you guys uh, as a topic here because, you know, he says, uh, in 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 the clip, and he's being uh, interviewed at an event by uh, Geraldo Rivera. And well, there's two wonderful human beings together. <laughs> wow, that's right. A lot of uh, there's no ego in that room. No, no. So, um, and he's but he says in his answer, uh, and Geraldo had asked him about uh, Trump coming back, and is is he the best bet for folks who agree with the MAGA policies and America First and all of that? And and I thought it was interesting. Uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, Barr's answer was uh, Trump is the is the worst candidate if you believe in those policies because he's completely um, personality-wise, character-wise, um, as far as govern governing-wise, he's the least likely to actually be able to implement those policies that other people... Uh, he didn't mention Ron DeSantis, but it kind of sounded like he was alluding to the Florida governor, uh, would be more able to get those policies uh, either, you know, uh, by executive order or legislation to make them real things. And he did, he said, if Don, when Donald Trump is involved in all of that, it's just, it's pure chaos. And, and that makes it even harder on top of some of 
his other, according to Barr, uh, deficiencies. But I will say, um, when I hear former Trump folks uh, say these things, I, I usually go and I, I look up how long they stayed working for Donald Trump. Yes. And Barr was there for a long time. Yes. And he defended Trump for a long time. And I think he whitewashed you know, the Mueller report. And I just don't know what to make of some of these comments, because I think that that Mr. Barr is correct, because, Brian, you and I were there and we felt the chaos and uh, we we watched it and heard it. And <laughs> we, sources we told were us right about in the middle it. of it. We we're right in the middle of. It. So we know he's correct. But, you know, why didn't you tell somebody sooner there, Bill? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Michael, you know the man. I did work uh, in the Justice Department when he was attorney general under H.W. Bush. Um, and I've always respected his legal acumen. I think he's a smart guy. We never agreed on anything um, <laughs> political. Um, <laughs> and, you know, there is always this question when you're in the midst of a situation like that, do you pack up your bags and quit and, and then say to the world at large, I'm quitting because this is an untenable situation? Or... Do you try to stay to keep the chaos from going nuclear? Uh, and no, not literally. Um, yes, but well, and, and, or maybe literally. And and so it's 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 not simple. I don't think it's a it's a simple choice. And in in Barr's case, I don't think Barr ever had any regard for for Trump. I don't think he was a Trumper um, from the beginning. As a, as a matter of Donald Trump, the person. I think that he agreed with many of the policies of the Trump administration. Um, and that's why you saw, saw the defense of uh, those policies, because that's what he believed with all his heart, independent of, of Trump. Uh, and, and then you get his feelings about Trump now coming out. And I mean, look at the language that John... Uh, sent around. He, John yeah. says, John sent this uh, uh, interview where they ask um, uh, whether or not Trump would be the right person to execute the policies that he's been running on. And Trump says, and I'll quote, he said he should, he would be the last person who could execute <laughs> and achieve these policies. He does not have, this is a quote, he does not have the discipline. He does not have the ability to strategically think or for lateral thinking or setting priorities or how to get things done in a system. <laughs> He's a horror show when it comes left to his own devices. You might want his policies, but Trump will never deliver his policies. He will deliver chaos and if anything, lead to backlash that will set his policies much further back than they otherwise would have been. That's pretty harsh language. And I think that was sort of his view of Trump throughout his tenure as AG. But as I say, I think that he was happy to promote... No, no, but I'm saying I think he was happy to promote the federal judges that he and McGahn and McConnell and others were uh, interested. I think he's delighted uh, that the Supreme Court is as presently constituted i think that well sure he's many, a conservative many, Catholic, like six right of them. and 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 uh many criminal justice 
areas. Um, he's very happy with uh, the, the the policies that the Trump administration put forward. So I think that we have to, in some sense, separate um, Trump from the theory of Trump acolyte to um, bar rather as a, from the, the Trump acolyte notion that some have written about and rather view him as Trump, the very conservative guy who supports very conservative policies, who happen to be promoting those policies in the context of the Trump administration. If I and take what getting you his say, views on Trump, the individual. If I take what you say as fact, then tell me why he lied about the Mueller. Why did why did he take the Mueller report, condense it, and turn it into something that was not factually accurate? What was his goal there? I think that he believed from before he became the attorney general that Mueller's theory of, of prosecution for obstruction and that the uh, predicate for the Russia investigation was invalid. And I think that he held true to the 13-page memorandum that he wrote about the uh, Mueller investigation before he became AG to after he became AG. He thought it was bogus. He thought it was bogus from the start. He thought that there was no Russia... Uh, collusion, and he thought that the theory of obstruction was nonsense. I so don't agree with him on either point. And so I think what he was doing was promoting that that view. I think he misrepresented what Mueller was saying. Yes, uh, there, there's no doubt that he, that he misrepresented what no, Mueller was saying. But, but what sure you're telling he, me, what I hear, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, what I hear you saying is that he will manipulate facts to support what he believes in independently of those facts. If the facts don't support it, he's going to say that they do. Well, in the, in, the, in the context, I wouldn't say that broadly necessarily, but in this in context, context, no, no, I'm saying in the context of his summary of the Mueller report, yes. I thought that his summary of the Mueller report was very misleading. All I'm saying is that I think that that represented his true belief about the Mueller investigation that I it was that it was bogus from from the from the outset so and that independent Mueller, of the facts in the Mueller report he wrote a, a, a summary that supported what he already believed that he that his interpretation of those facts that his yeah. his legal interpretation of the obstruction and his that's uh, a long way of saying he's batshit nuts and lied but I'll I'll go with I, I I'll go with he's he's a batshit nut liar because <laughs> he he just fucking lied. There's just the facts said one thing and he said another to to bolster his thoughts. Right? It's it's like a fox. It's someone who watches Fox News who says you know whatever the facts are, are independent of what I think. So the facts say what I want them to say, and that's what I get out of uh, out of out of bar. And I'm with John. I I mean. At what point in time, if you think he's batshit nuts, do you walk away from Donald Trump? Well, he didn't walk away from Donald Trump until late in the game because Donald Trump was a useful fool for him. Because right. he that what it was is that bars he you see in his statements, if you like his policies, it's a horror show. You might want his policies. Well, Barr does want his policies. So that's why he stuck with him. That's all I get out of Barr. And I think it's very enlightening what you're saying michael and what you've said john and it just points to the simple fact that bill barr is a manipulative bastard who doesn't his his beliefs are his beliefs he may be very bright but his beliefs are independent of the facts at least in the Mueller case and that he well manipulates i mean it's, it's, it. 
to believe what he wants, to say what he wants. Well, I think, Brian, what you see in the Trump um, administration is that there are many people, Don McGahn. Oh, uh, Jesus, all of them. Don't get, yeah. Is one of them. Mitch McConnell is one of them. All of them. Use Donald Trump. Use Donald Trump to promote the things that they believed in. Um, Mm -hmm. And so they held their nose about the way he behaved in order to achieve the objectives that they wanted uh, uh, achieved. And I think Barr sort of falls in, I think John, I think Barr mostly falls into the same category that these, these are all guys who said, you know what, Trump may be a a madman, but we think we can do workarounds around his madness and achieve the shared objectives we have, you know, particularly, particularly around the court and around um, uh, taxes. And, and they did just that. And now they're all coming around after the fact and saying Trump's a lunatic. Um, and, but they don't say, yeah, but we were able to use him, use his administration to accomplish that which we wanted to accomplish, most, most prominently stacking the Supreme Court with, with conservatives. Well, that's all they really cared about at the end of the day is that so they could get rid of they they, they were blinded by their their lust, <laughs> pardon the pun, for getting rid of of, of Roe v. Wade. So yeah. it, it all boiled down to I, I think it well, it's not just Roe v. It's not just Roe v. Wade because oh, it's um, all the conservative agenda. Yes, it's it's the it's the the, the, the gerrymandering, the gerrymandering and yeah. the voting rights cases. Though though those that trilogy of eliminating. Um, uh, Jerry, uh, review of uh, gerrymandering and um, watering down voting rights. The, the trilogy and of Roe v. Wade and, and Roe v. Wade is, you know, sort of the the legacy of this court so far, and we'll see what happens in the in the years and perhaps even decades to come. So we're we're going back to court now to talk to uh, and, and Michael, you've got this one, Trump's case for moving his. A case from state to federal court, and of course, the recent uh, conviction of Proud Boys who weren't actually in attendance in January six. You had uh, ha- had some interest in discussing that. I'll let you lead off with that one. Okay, so there are two topics that you're raising, Brian. The first is the conviction in the Proud Boys case, and there you had uh, five people charged with seditious oh. conspiracy. And, and other conspiracies to defraud the United States. All of them were convicted of some level of conspiracy. One of them, uh, Dominic Pizzola, was not convicted of seditious conspiracy, but he was convicted of conspiracy to defraud and other such thing. And, and all those are gonna get left uh, with hefty sentences. We saw a sentence just on Friday of one of the um, insurrectionists. He got, I think, 14 years uh, for assaulting a police officer during the uh, insurrection. But the thing that was most interesting about this Proud Boy conviction was they convicted Enrique Tario, and he was the longtime chairman of the Proud Boys. He was not at the Capitol that day. He was in Baltimore, but yet they convicted him of this conspiracy, this seditious conspiracy and other charges, notwithstanding his absence from there based on all the things that he was doing in the run up to it 
and in the aftermath of it. And so here you have a jury. The significance to me of this is you have a jury convicting someone of conspiracy who was not on the uh, Capitol grounds. That could be empowering to prosecutors to say, if we convicted one D.C. jury that you don't need to be present to be convicted of conspiracy, perhaps we can charge others who were not there, but who were instrumental in the run up to and the uh, day and of and, and aftermath of of similar charges. And that means, as people say, they're moving from the boots on the ground to the suits on the podium. And so the, the significance of this case may well be just that, that it provides them the confidence that they can convince a jury that you don't have to have been there to be charged with a conspiracy to, to uh, interfere with the orderly transfer of power. So I think it's a potentially significant case. And we'll see how the prosecutors um, move forward with it. The other question that you asked was about Donald Trump in the um, New York DA case, the Bragg case. And uh, so you have this case pending and what the, uh, the defense team for Trump asked the judge is to remove the case from state to federal court, meaning having a federal court oversee this. I think there are a couple of things that are behind here. One, it's further delay, potentially. Two, they think that the judge in the New York case that has been assigned this so far uh, is not um, sympathetic to, to, to them. Yeah, and, no shit. <laughs> uh, and, and, and three, they think that there are legitimate federal questions that make this um, possibly um, uh, a fruitful uh, endeavor. So when they want to remove a case from state to federal court, there's sort of a two-part test. One, was there a federal, is there a federal defense here? And two, was the actions under, in you know, actions for which the defendant was indicted related to his time in political office? As to the first, was there a federal defense? Maybe, maybe there's a federal defense that these being charged under federal campaign finance laws, maybe there's a defense that the state charges are preempted by federal charges that they want to bring these charges that the federal court needs to do this. But I don't think he gets past the second test of this case is for or relating to acts undertaken uh, under the color of his office, because these acts were undertaken prior to his having attained the status of a federal office holder. Remember, the, these hush payments took place before the fact. And right. while the false entries in the business records occurred during his tenure in office, I don't think that that's going to get them to the these actions were taken under color of of law. I think they've been arguing the hush money, hush money payments were the color of uh, his office, but I, I don't think they get it. So I think they lose on, on this motion. And I think that the, the state court continues to uh, oversee it. And I think the state judge has been pretty clear. This case is going to trial in February or March of 2024, come hell or high water. <laughs> Bo, 
most likely both hell and high water. And so, John, that brings me to the, uh, the the question: If Donald Trump were a cat, how many lives has he gone through? <laughs> wow! Uh, in his political career or his entire adult life, yeah. or well, his post presidency? I think he'd be three cats in his post presidency. Alone, be- yeah. I think he is a very, very gifted feline who has an infinity number of lives. Uh, This guy takes Teflon to a new level, and this gives me an opportunity to prove that by, uh, wow. To prove that, it gives me the opportunity, I should say, to bring up uh, this morning's ABC Washington Post poll, which shows the extent to which Mr. Trump is politically Teflon, at least. Uh, Majority of, he... uh, he leads Joe Biden in a hypothetical head-to-head by seven points. So let's look at the poll a different way. He's up by seven nationally. Okay. Voters voters by an 18% margin. So put another way, um, Trump leads Joe Biden on handling the economy by 18 points. Trump leads in a one-on-one by seven points. So despite it all, Despite the chaotic presidency, despite January 6th, despite trying to overturn the election, despite all the investigations, despite multiple, despite multiple rape accusations, despite the charges in New York, all Democrats get for all of that and all Joe Biden gets are 11 measly percentage points. So, uh, but if he's in trial in February of 2024, do you think he's going to be on the ticket? He got a he got a Trump got a major polling and fundraising bump when he got charged with 34 felony counts. I think it could be the jet fuel that his campaign needs, actually, um, to to rev up the base and to 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 bring more conservatives on board because and Governor Chris Christie made this point this morning on ABC. Um, what what people are really pissed off about and mad at the president and Presidents always get blamed for the economy. That's just the way it works. It's inflation. It's still right. inflation. So you you almost get, you know, you've got all this Trump stuff, but it's inflation versus abortion. Yeah, but the inflation and, is cooling, right? Every, and, and But slowly. But, but, it, but in, my point is, as we were talking earlier, in this a Biden problem, uh, the Biden unable to communicate. I mean, I look at those poll numbers and I don't see that it's, Donald Trump doing anything magical. I see it as Joe Biden screwing the pooch on his messaging. The result could still be the same on the election. The result day. will be the same, yes. But yeah, I don't I don't Joe Biden is Joe Biden. And I don't know if I, I don't I don't know at this point at 80 um if, if he's going to change that much as a candidate uh or or as a president. So I think what you're looking at is, is what you get. And um People are increasingly concerned about about Biden's age and his mental acuity. Those poll numbers don't get any better for him. And, you know, these flubs like on Friday when he said he was going to do a major press conference and what he was referring to was a one on one sit down with, with one cable yeah. network late night anchor, Stephanie Rule. So those things just when you're 80 and you're the president, and you have the, the nuclear launch codes in your coat and your suit jacket pocket. Um, people worry about that. And and you're right. Inflation might is cooling. But I mean, 
you know, this two person household, our grocery bill this week was, was, was really big. Don't get me uh, started. <laughs> yeah. It's eye popping just to go to the grocery store. Have you tried to plan a weekend trip or something that involves, I don't know, a train or an airplane? Yeah. These prices aren't coming down for everyday folks. And that is a huge problem for the president. And, you know, he talks about we've done this or we've done that. Um, you know, it's not a strong message, but when he's out there, you know, once or twice a week giving that speech that they've taken action against inflation, I people just, you know, you look at it and how could you blame folks who don't follow politics like we do? Their their initial reaction by all indications is so what? It's not working, Mr. President. And there some of them You're at least saying that Despite Some of them are willing to give Trump a second look because they had more right. money in their investment accounts or 401ks in their checking accounts when, when Trump was president, despite all the chaos that we lived through. Despite all the crap that we lived through. Michael, I'll let you close this segment out before we head to break. Do you think that uh, Donald Trump will be on the ticket? And, and do you think he still has, with all the polls, do you think he's, and but even with his legal... Uh, problems he's going to be the man to, to beat in 2024 probably <laughs> unless he's convicted no no i'm saying probably unless he's convicted of a federal crime um related to uh mar-a-lago or um january 6th i think that could that could i, I know he's gotten a bump previously from Bragg, but they were, I think, successful in arguing that Bragg, a democratically elected um, district attorney who ran on a ticket of getting Trump was an easier mark from a PR standpoint than um, uh, the, the federal prosecutors might be. Um, but it seems that uh, regardless of the chaos that Bill Barr and others think that Trump would bring to the presidency if given a second chance. The uh, MAGA base that controls the primaries in the Republican Party still want him as their man. The thing that's disturbing about the poll that John um, just recounted is that the independents don't yet seem completely um, detached from the possibility of a, a second Trump presidency. And I think that that again, if we're if we're in a country where, honestly, the presidential election only needs to take place in like six states, every other you know every other state's outcome is pretty much um, already predetermined. Uh, then the independents in those states, um, of course, there's voter turnout, but the independents in those states will determine the outcome of the election. So if I were looking at polls, the only thing I'd be interested in is in those states, what is the view of the independents about the candidacy of these two guys? And then we'll have a better sense of, of where things might go. The thing that I, learned, I wonder about is, remember George Herbert Walker Bush lost to, to, to Bill Clinton uh, on the economy stupid notion, although, of course, it's it's not completely clear because you had Ross Perot and without Ross Perot as a third party candidate, Herbert Walker Bush might well have have won. But Herbert Walker Bush's economy, which was improving, did.
didn't quite have enough time to improve before the election and Bill Clinton inherited um, the benefit of that as the improving economy rolled over into his presidency. The question right. I have here is, does Biden have enough time between now and the election for the economy to improve enough from an inflation matter for people to feel that he really has a handle on on this. Because look, the job numbers are are terrific. The unemployment numbers are terrific, but inflation still is sort of outpacing um, wages. And until and until that writes itself, then people will see the sticker shock at the supermarket or the gas station or or elsewhere. Now, I you know that I have said that I think there's price there's price gouging here, and that many of these inflated prices are not the result of inflation or economic conditions, but rather just greed on the part of of these corporations. Uh, And I believe that still. But for the average person who doesn't subscribe to to my politics, it's still waiting for the grocery bill to to go down. And if we have enough time, we're in May of 2023, we've got, you know, at least a year, um, it seems to me, um, does Biden have, does the economy, does Biden have enough time in this economy to, to convince people that he's on the right track? Because if he does, I think that that goes a long way to, you know, uh, helping his candidacy. And then he has to deal with the age issue. But that issue, I think, falls. Uh, if that if the only issue is his 80 year old age versus Donald Trump's 75 or six year old age, I think age becomes less important. Yeah, but, but I'm I mean, gonna, it's not like I, we're running. It's not like uh, Biden is running against a young um, DeSantis or a young Clinton. Yeah, well, yeah, well, <laughs> Ken, Kennedy, the Kennedy kid, Jr. is is drawing fourteen percent at the moment, which is a little yeah. bit terrifying. But um, anyway, that's what I think. Well, All I right. think I think most of those are kid supporters, and I'm yeah, he's got a year. I'm going to go on and say, yes, we do have a year. I'll close the segment out by saying, and I still don't think Donald Trump's going to be on uh, on the menu in November of 2024. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the Biden White House and how uh, ineffective they've been. <laughs> Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q Podcast. That's J-A-T-Q Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we're back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. With me again, Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. 
And we're talking a little bit about, uh, in the last segment, we were talking a little bit about the Biden White House and its ineffective means of communicating has led to problems in polling. <clears throat> this week, the White House pulled out a new uh, press rules for hard passes. That's for those who uh, cover the White House, reporters who cover the White House. And why why would anybody outside of D.C. politics give a shit? Uh, let's go back to the one brief, uh, the bilateral uh press conference that he had last week, and that was uh, a two-on-two with uh, the president of Korea, and there were a lot of questions there. He got a question ahead of time that he was able to answer ahead of time, and there was also, at that point in time, after announcing his candidacy, it was uh, Biden himself who said that, you, you know, if my age is a factor, judge me on my actions, well, we need to see him and give him a pop quiz every once in a while to see how he's doing. Uh, that's part of the problem. But with these new hard pass rules, will those who are a those who are most wanting to quiz the president be able to do so? They're talking about sanctions against reporters if they don't act, quote unquote, professionally without defining what that means. And at the same time, threatening to yank press passes if we aren't, quote unquote, professional. Now, I have told the and and I was quoted in an uh, article from the New York Post saying, "Listen, if you want to make sure that there aren't lobbyists or foreign actors in the press corps, I'm all for that. But if you're going to try and tell me what's professional behavior, uh, you can kiss my ass. That's and and they'll lose that fight. They they lost the Trump administration lost that fight three times. Uh, well, once against Jim Acosta, once three times against me in in court." The fact of the matter is that reporters, by and large, are going to have to force their way, and sometimes that means uh, asking questions out of turn in order to get answers to questions that need to be answered. John, you've been in that White House. Do you see? I mean, I see this as an attempt. If they if they go forward with it, it's another attempt to limit access to by the press to the president. It is. Uh, they they all get here, don't they? At at certain points, every White House seems to try to do this. Um, After you know, saying they're our friends, <laughs> correct. You know, you you you're one of the best at the shouted question. I've certainly shouted my fair number of questions. I did at, take training from Donald uh, from from Sam Donaldson. <laughs> you learn from the best. So presidents don't like that. <laughs> they don't necessarily, they don't love the shouted questions. Um, you know, they want to appear stately or statesmanly and, and all that, even Trump. Uh, they talked to us a lot about decorum and how um, President Trump wanted more decorum from the press corps. And it's, it's, it is a little surprising to me that the Biden White House um, is putting a blanket policy on what has been um you know, unprofessional behavior by one or two reporters that I can remember since Joe Biden took office. Um, so yeah, then you have to wonder, well, what are they really up to? And uh, and it does seem like if you shout, you know, it's one thing to shout a question and be a little disruptive, usually at the end of an event or the end of a press conference. Right. It's another thing um, to be rude to the staff and to act unprofessional in those moments in lower or upper press or, or to make it about you. You know, if you're, you're like, why are you picking on me? Why don't you, why don't you call on me? Well, a lot of people don't get called on. I I'm with you, but if you're interjecting and going, wait a minute, 
Kareem, uh, Kareem, you didn't answer the question. Why is the president doing that? Why right. isn't he? That's different. To me, that's you know, it's not about oh, us. Yeah. And look, I'll, I'll be the first to say, if I ask a tough question and the president gives a great answer, I've still done my job. It isn't all about gotcha questions. It's oh, about sure. putting a good question out, either getting an answer or not getting an answer. That's on them. But the no. idea that that you would make it a go and I, you know, you're you're prejudice against me. Oh, crap, horse crap. That you go talk to the staff about. But I'm far, I'm, I'm, I am less concerned about rudeness from reporters and more concerned about the inability to ask a decent question. <laughs> and I'll quote my Sam Donaldson there. That's his quote. Michael, how does this, I mean, since they, look, it's play, you, you, you know how this works in court. I mean, they've already lost this in court. That this is not one that they, they can win. Well, let me let me say I defer to you guys on uh, this issue, but there are a couple of things that that come to mind. First is I'm very uh, excited to see um, the letter that you have to write in order to get a new hard pass entry into the White House, which says one full time employment with an organization whose principal business is news dissemination. So that knocks out at least three cable stations immediately, whose <laughs> principal business is not news dissemination. So that's good. That's really good. But I say that facetiously. I but, know you do, but you're but, <laughs> but then if you turn to the issue that you're talking about, it says here, the White House expects that all hard pass holders will act in a professional manner while on White House grounds respecting their colleagues, White House employees, and guests. That's, that's what they're asking that you do. You behave in a professional manner. Now, if you're telling me that's code for don't shout questions, then that's not unacceptable. If it's something that would be normally expected in any organization, that if you're right. on their property, you behave in a professional manner. Look, Brian, I've been to your house and I've always tried to behave in a professional manner for fear <laughs> of being uh, shown the door. So if it is Are you merely... kidding? You'd be given center stage at my house. Go uh, ahead. Go for it, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know what I'm saying? If, if it really is, we don't want you um, being abusive to to people in a way that is not normally acceptable in, 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 in social uh, settings, then uh, fair enough. But if what yeah. you're saying is that acting in a professional manner is code for you can't shout questions or you can't ask hard questions, then of course it's it's not acceptable. So maybe it's let's see how it is carried out. Yeah, um, yeah. and if you, and if you're and if you're right that that they're saying to you you're going to get your hard pass removed because quote unquote you didn't act in a professional manner, you screamed at us. Uh, a question that we didn't want to answer, they're going to lose that battle in court as they as the Trump administration did. If they're saying you can't, you know, be abusive to people, uh, and or you or you're going to get your hard pass uh, revoked, I think they win. If, if you behave in a in a an abusive, threatening, um, but aren't there already laws away. to cover that? I mean, that's you know, the, they're already guidelines and laws as the court said in my case look it, it, you know they they the uh white house uh council made the point in court of saying well if we don't have these rules and what's to keep you know 
uh, rogue reporters from mooning people in the in the uh, Rose Garden. Not that th those words, not mine. Their words. They yeah, they'd be charged with disorder, but they'd be charged with yeah, disorderly. That'd be conduct. disorderly conduct. So it's it's already there. You don't need additional um, statutes to cover that. It's it that type. But this of is not. But this is not a statute. This is just saying. If you're if you're if you're a guest at our house, behave in a professional manner. Yeah. And 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 the question then is, how do, will they uh, going forward interpret a professional manner? So for me, it's let let's see how it plays out. If it plays out like the Trump administration, where uh, unprofessional conduct was uh, deemed to be asking a question they didn't want to answer, they lose. If professional right. conduct is you uh, don't involve you don't violate criminal statutes. <laughs> then uh, independent of whether you'll be charged with a crime, you're not invited back to our house. You're just not welcome here anymore. So right. we'll, we'll see how it plays out. John? Well, I'm I'm thinking that it matters a lot about what how they define all this stuff. And, and I hope that we get some more information. I, I remember an exchange that I had in the Rose Garden with um, a Trump press staffer who told us that we could not stand along the far left in the far left aisle. Uh, of course, they, they love to not give us seats back then, right. um, which, <laughs> which you know, the, the, a battle, I think, yeah, right. So uh, that's that, right. That's bipartisan. So, you know, she told us we couldn't stand in the aisle because the president didn't like how it looked, even though we had just stood in the same spot the day before in the Rose right. Garden. And they sprang this on us where in the Rose Garden, like three minutes before the president was coming out for whatever event it was. And she was telling us that, that we weren't going to be able uh, to stay. And one of the problems with this policy that I see is sometimes there is a tension between the press and the White House press staff. And it's a natural tension. It's going to yes. happen. And I had a very sharp back and forth with this individual and voices were raised to the point that people intervened and 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 we were able to come to me and others were able to come to some kind of compromise quickly. Um, but if that's what they're talking about, it depends on how and but it, then it's up to their definition. Was I abusive that day? I don't right. think so. But but I was also I felt like I was defending my right to be there. And so th that's where this could get really murky. Yeah, I well, so but remember in in the in the cases of Acosta and Karam, that one of the reasons that uh, Karam and Acosta win is because there were no standards that were set forth right for for behavior, and so if all they're saying is quote unquote in a professional manner, and then it's randomly um, interpreted uh, based on do they like or not like a person, or is it raining or they lose or, or partially they lose. And so they have to, you yeah. have to have yeah. standards um, by which you know in a professional manner is is um, are is interpreted, and, and so also, they can't do it willy nilly uh, and and expect to win. Well, and I, and I also have concern about their professional standards. I mean, there were times when they would put hands on us. They they they're they're you know, and I'll go back to you know Sam. <laughs> I had dinner with Sam uh, last week, and we were talking about the time when he was in you know, on Pebble Beach and Secret Service and uh, White House staff put hands on him. And he said, look, you don't get to touch me. Keep your hands off me. I had the same interaction with members of the uh, Trump staff and uh, briefly with Obama staff, with them getting over anxious with the press and putting hands on us. So uh, if I, I'd like I to, had that. You know, 
yeah, that those standards go both ways. And I, you know, I'm not going to lay hands on them and they're not going to lay hands on me. Uh, look, I want to, um, close with this. I've got to, I've got to read this to you. This was a, a letter sent to us saying that, um, why do we continue to pick on Donald Trump? He is quote, our best president ever. And by the way, man never landed on the moon. Russia is our ally. Guns are less dangerous to children than drag queens. And most books, except the Bible, should be banned. And finally, science is just an opinion. And this comes from <clears throat> Bible Belt 44. Thank you, Bible Belt 44. Uh, Michael, you want to weigh in on that? It's his opinion or her opinion. Uh, <laughs> they can, they're entitled to, to that opinion. I don't agree with it. Uh, and that's my entitlement, too. But I, I'm not in a position to to judge that person's probably sincerely held beliefs. So, you know, good for them for having beliefs and for taking the time to write right into the show to express those beliefs. The fact that we don't, I don't agree with them is, you know, of no consequence and good for you, Brian, for reading, for reading their letter. And John. I, I second what Michael said. Um, and I'll say I, if science is just an idea, that would have come in handy back in high school because that chemistry grade, um, <laughs> that wasn't really the idea I had going in. So you know, could, that, I would say they told me that back then. <laughs> well put. The next letter comes from a J.P. Samhaya, S-A-M-E-H, who says that he wants to know why we think that Donald Trump is running. Do we believe that he actually believes that he could be president, or do you think that it's all just a grift? Michael. Well, I think both. In, I mean, I don't think that he thinks he's a grifter. So I don't think he thinks it's it's a grift. I think that he thinks he uh, was the greatest president the history in the history of our country, that he was fraudulently denied a second term, and that uh, for the sake of the continuing history of our country, we need we we need him back. I think that that is his belief. I'm not sure that it's objectively true, but I think that that's what he believes. I also think that there's an element to this which is um, retribution that he 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 wants to get back at the person who who did beat him. I think he relishes the idea of uh, running against Biden and beating Biden, uh, you know, just as we saw why he took such offense to all of the policies of the Obama administration in certain measure, because Obama ridiculed him at a White House correspondence dinner, made a fool of him um, with good, you know, good natured humor. Um, and, but Trump had no humor about himself and went about um, dismantling everything that Obama stood for in a sort of petty, revengeful way. So, I mean, it's, he's a complicated guy, uh, yeah. Donald Donald Trump. But I, but I think that he thinks that he's the he's the second coming in in political terms, not in religious terms. Um, well, he might, but that would be a grift. And uh, and and I think that he thinks we we are we we need him, John. Uh, to answer the question, yes and yes. And uh, in Donald Trump's mind, he would love to be president again. Uh, number one, it would vindicate him 
and his ego. And number two, if he can't be president again, why not make a little money off trying to be? <laughs> I think he, and my answer is I think he does nothing but grift by the seat of his pants. And if he can get a little power out of it, a little money, he's all for it. What else has he got to do with his time? He's a 76-year-old man bored to tears who's, who wants his hands on the lever of power. And I, with that in mind, we'll, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll close out this episode of Just Ask the Question. John, where can we catch you? Why, uh, and where, where, where can the audience find you? Uh, CQ afternoon briefing newsletter, CQ.com, and every Friday morning, a weekly column on rollcall.com. And Michael, your turn. Plug away, my brother. The podcast that I host is called That Said with Michael Zeldin. Comes out more or less once a week, although I've been a little bit behind because I've been teaching a class at American University, Washington College of Law this semester. Uh, now that that class is over and I'm going to submit my final grades, I hope to get back to a, a weekly. Um, Did everybody weekly, pass? Weekly podcast. Uh, everybody passed. Yes. There um, you go. Advance notice for everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The the podcast that said with Michael Zeldin is found on all the normal spot, all the normal podcast apps. And as I said, it's about books and authors and things that I find interesting in a broad sense, not politics and law specifically. And the name of this podcast is Just Ask the Question. You can catch us wherever fine podcasts are sold. The name of the book is called Free the Press, wherever fine books are sold. And uh, you can catch my column every week on Salon and occasionally in the Washington Diplomat. And John, you're waving your hand. What, did I miss something? No. <laughs> <laughs> For those who didn't see, he was pointing his his, his pen at me. <laughs> the name of the show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerem. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you again next week.